You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, friends, good morning again to you. Welcome to those of you who are here, not only in person, but those of you who are tuning in online. Thank you so much for uh, giving some of your morning to join us in worship here at the peak. Today, we are starting a brand new sermon series, a brand new series here at our church. Uh, And to kick it off, uh, I'm actually going to start with a little game, okay? We're going to start with a little game. Ready? A little bit of trivia for you. So answers A, B, C, or D, we're going to make you choose. When the average, average American was polled, average American was polled, uh, how much music do people listen to per day? Okay, ready? Here we go. Here are your answers. Here's your uh, selections. Uh, does the average American listen to a half hour a day? Just a modest little 30 minutes. A little squeeze it in there. Uh, one hour a day, three hours a day, or does the average American listen to four hours a day? Ready? You can play this at home as well if you're with uh, people and uh, win bragging rights with them and that sort of thing. So here we go. Ready? If you are an option A, you believe the average American listens to just 30 minutes a day of music. Go ahead and lift a hand. Okay. Raise your hand if you are B, one hour a day. Okay. How about C, three hours a day? All right, fourthly and finally, raise your hand if you believe that the average American listens to four hours of music a day. You ready for the answer? Winners? D, four hours a day. Four hours a day. That blew my mind when I read that stat this week. That blew my mind. But then I got to thinking about it. I got to thinking about it. I got to thinking about all the different portions and pockets of my day do I fill with music. If you've got a commute uh, to your job, most likely uh, you play music on that commute. So 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, what have you. Uh, A lot of us, if you are at a job where you've got your own cubicle, uh, your employer will allow you to listen to music while you are working. So that's several hours worth of music. Somehow I feel like the... I don't understand the magic of it, but sometimes when you listen to music while you work, it just sort of speeds the day along. Five o'clock comes a lot faster. Uh, Maybe you listen to music a lot when you make dinner or while you're eating dinner. If anyone goes to the gym, everybody, when you go to the gym, you listen to music while you're working out. Unless you're one of those psychopaths who does cardio in complete silence. (laughs) You seen these people? They're out there. 30 minutes of pouring blood and sweat into that workout with nothing but the sound of their own thoughts. I went for a run earlier this week and my Spotify account stopped working, so I just stopped running. (laughs) It was not the Lord's will today. Not the Lord's will. We're going home. We're going home. Four hours a day. I did the math. Four hours a day, that's 27 per week. The average American spends an entire day each week listening to music. Whenever I learn things like that, it always reminds me of a particular scripture. It always reminds me of a particular scripture found in the book of Job. Job chapter 33, uh, verse 14 says this. It says, uh, the God that we worship, the God that you're here to learn more about uh, here today in church, 
this God speaks again and again and again and again, but rarely does anyone have the ability to perceive it. Translate in a modern-day vernacular, the God that we worship is speaking to us all the time through all different kinds of mediums. And if you're anything like me, I miss a lot of it. I miss a lot of it. And so if, if we're listening to music four hours a day, 27 hours per week, you better believe that God is utilizing that medium more than we are aware to try to get our attention, to try to say something we need to hear, to offer us direction, clarity, and guidance on our lives. And to be clear, this applies to all music, worship music, secular music, really good music, and even bad music. If ever I need evidence of God's existence, I just remember the time someone told me they found Jesus at a Creed concert. God exists, friends. God's real. And even as I'm saying this, you don't need convincing of this, do you? You know this to be true. Many of you have had your own experiences, your inspirational, divine, spiritual experiences while listening to music. This is something that's true, I think, of every single human, whether they consider themselves spiritual or religious or not. Just look at history. Look at these quotes uh, of musicians. Uh, Pablo Casals said this. He said, I'm convinced music is the divine's way of speaking to our hearts. Bono, lead singer for U2, says, music is one of the last things in this world that has the ability and the power to change a human heart. And I love this from Jimi Hendrix. Music never lies. I don't know about you, man, but I... Between what I watch on the news and what I read on social media, I'm starting to be convinced that music is one of the last honest places in this world. I don't feel like I'm ever fed anything when I'm listening to music. And so we're going to explore that. Over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into all kinds of different genres of music. So we're going to a little bit of something for everybody. A little bit of something for everybody, okay? We're going to dive into uh, hip-hop. We're going to dive into oldies. We're going to dive into classical. We're going to dive into punk rock. We're going to dive into all these different genres, asking the question, God, what might you be trying to say to us? How might you, how might you be revealing yourself to us in and through the medium of music? And so today, here's where we're going to start. Today, we're going to start uh, with a particular genre that has all of the hits of the 80s, the 90s, and today. Today, we're going to talk about pop, okay? We're going to talk about pop music, music that you hear mostly on the radio right here, right now. I did some research uh, earlier this week on pop music. This is not going to surprise any of you, but the lion's share of pop music out there today, 70% of songs written that are in the pop genre, are love songs, right? Think about your own experience. Think when you turn on the radio, what do you hear people singing about most often? Love, or in Taylor Swift's case, falling out of love (laughs) over and over and over again. And so I got to thinking, I got to thinking. So if a lot of the songs that we're hearing on the radio today deal with people's romantic experiences or their experience trying to love another person or being loved by another person, or maybe it's not romantic, maybe it's familiar, maybe it's friendship. What does scripture have to say to us on this very topic. How does God show up in Scripture who are, and the authors are talking about this particular experience? 
And that's where we get our scripture passage for today. So if you're here uh, in-house or you're watching this online and you want to follow along, go ahead and return to our scripture passage for today, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. So same book, don't get confused. Uh, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Uh, And uh, to give you a little bit of a backstory of where we're headed these next several weeks is every single week here in worship for the next five weeks, we're going to be camped out in what uh, scholars call uh, wisdom or poetry literature. So this is the particular genre of the Bible dedicated to specific books that are uh, people are writing poems, they're writing diary or reflections, or in some cases they are literally writing songs, okay? This is books like Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, you name it, okay? Song of Solomon is one of those uh, that literally at different points reads like a song, reads like music. And so the reason why we chose this book is because of all the wisdom literature and all of scripture, this is the one that if there was a pop song in the Bible, it was Song of Solomon. Why? Because those of you who are new to this book, again, I totally understand if in youth group or at any point uh, in your time in church, if you've spent any time in church, you probably didn't have a lot of Bible teachers saying, hey, today we're going to do a study on Song of Solomon. And the reason for which is because, to give you a little context of what this book is, this book is essentially a song between two people in love, okay? And they're singing to one another about how much they love the other person and how much they admire the other person, which, by the way, you can totally tell these are church people uh, who wrote uh, this book because they have zero game. (laughs) They've, like, never dated someone before, never met someone they've been attracted to before. You want to know how I know this? Is because one of the best lines that he has in the entire book is this. Hey, girl. Your teeth. Mmm! They like some sheep. I don't know what you say uh, to your loved ones uh, outside of this space. But that ain't getting me nowhere with my wife, okay? Okay? And so naturally, whenever you read the contents of this book and you go and you read through chapter after chapter of this, like, mushy gushiness, naturally, sometimes we ask the question, people of faith, people in church, we ask the question, of like, why did they include this in the final edition of the Bible? Like, what made someone go, you know what, amongst, like, all the Gospels and all the other, like, Exodus tells us these really powerful stories, I got another contribution, this one, right? <laughs> Who tells us that this belongs in sacred scripture, right? Why? Why? Well, most scholars have a whole range of different opinions as to why the people who canonized the Bible, roughly 100, 200 B.C., uh, included this in the final edition. But one thing they all agree on, one thing every single scholar agrees upon, is the reason why they included this is because here in this life, to encounter love, And I mean like real love, selfless, sacrificial love for another human being. To encounter love is to encounter the divine. It is to encounter God himself. And I'm not making that up. We get that from the New Testament. What does 1 John say? 1 John says, for God is 
love. God is love. And so, dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God, whether they're aware of it or not. And you see this in the scripture, don't you? You see this in Song of Songs, don't you? Did you catch, did you catch this? Did you catch that when he's talking about uh, this relationship and this newfound love that he's found uh, in this person? Did you catch? He says this. He says, These, this experience I'm having, it's like darts of fire. It's like piercing parts of me I didn't even know existed. A divine flame has now taken root in my soul, in a dead place of my life, a place of my life I was asleep, a place of my life I didn't even know existed. This experience has brought something to life and to light that I didn't even know needed it. There's something otherworldly about it. There's something supernatural about it. And honestly, it reads a lot like a similar instance in the New Testament. The very first time Peter ever ever preached uh, during Pentecost, the first time he ever preached, check this out. It says that when he preached, his words pierced their hearts. In the aftermath, thousands of people went on to be baptized that day. I think sometimes we here in the church, we like to, create these nice little neat categories and go, yeah, well, this is like romantic love and familial love and friendly love, and this is spiritual love. Like, this is godly love, and I just don't see it that way. If ever you are encountering encountering love, capital L, love, you're encountering God. Even uh, the esteemed theologian uh, Justin Bieber caught this. Uh, and one of his songs. So uh, recently, uh, the last couple of years, Justin Bieber uh, collaborated with Chance the Rapper, one of my favorites, and uh, he wrote a song called Holy. Wrote a song called Holy. And the lyrics read like this. I'm not going to read them to you because uh, it just feels like I'm going to ruin the song for you if I do that. Um, But you can go and listen to the song on your own. Go and listen to the song on your own. But essentially what he does in the song is he says, somewhere, someway, somehow, in this relationship, I'm encountering something divine. I'm encountering something that is beyond me, beyond this world even. Now, again, I know some Christians who will see this and they'll read this and they'll go, that is sacrilegious. You should never do that. You should never say that your love for another human being is the same as your love for God. And I actually don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's saying here is in the midst of this relationship, I'm finding that this person is is giving me things that is, give, is showing me a love, is showing me a care that I didn't even know my soul was starving for. And as a result of that, it's lighting something in me that's causing me to try to want to become, I want to become someone better than I am right now. I want to become more loving and more nurturing and more selfless than I was before I met this person. I want to become more like God. Again, whether they're using that language or not. And so it's important, I think, in these moments to not get so hell-bent on maintaining these clear, nice and neat categories because, sorry to break it to you, Jesus ain't following all of your rules and abiding by all of your lines of what you think is spiritual and what you think is secular. Those of you who don't know my story, I'm a living testament of that. I came to faith through a song through music, not a church service, not a youth group, 
No one handing me a Bible. I came to faith through a song. I was in a van with a bunch of smelly soccer friends, which was a lot more like hell than heaven. Anyway, I'm in there. I'm in the van. Someone plays a song, and this lyric, this one line, changed the entire trajectory of my life. I heard these words. It said, all my life I've heard nothing but empty words, but in your eyes I see something more to me. I heard those words, and the entire trajectory of my life changed. I found myself for the first time ever in my entire life wanting a relationship with God, interested, curious in faith. All because of one line. Sometimes I think now, you know, 15 years later, I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, I wonder what would have happened if I wasn't paying attention when the song came on. Or if whoever chose that song just chose to play a different song in that particular moment. I wonder if I would still be standing here today. I don't know. And so your homework, by the way, you're getting homework. Your homework today and for the duration of this entire sermon series is I want to challenge you. You don't have to spend all four hours doing this, but use one little teensy section of that four hours each day to listen to music a little bit differently this month. Listen with just an inkling of a possibility that maybe, just maybe, God's trying to get my attention in and through this medium. God's trying to say something to me through music that God can't say to me in the other areas or arenas of my life. And if you're like, Kyle, that sounds great, but I don't even know how to do that. Like, how do I listen to music and also like, listen for what God may want to say to me? Here's how you do that. The first thing you do is this. Start paying more attention Start paying more attention to which lyrics are grabbing you. Just start paying more attention. I have to tell this to my dad all the time. My dad will listen to a song. I'm like, did you like it? What are they singing about? He's like, I don't know. It just sounded good. I'm like, okay, well, like, they're saying words, so, like, you should pay attention to them. So, like, pay more attention. In this next month, here's your homework. Pay more attention to which words, which lyrics are grabbing you. Why, why do you need to hear them? right now? Why do you find yourself gravitating towards that genre of music more often than not, that artist more often than not? What are they singing about that's grabbing you that you can't stop thinking about? And then dare to ask the second question. I wonder why. And make it a prayer. God, like, why? Like, why why do I keep listening to that artist? Why do I keep listening to that song? Why do I keep listening to those types of lyrics? Why? What's going on in here that you're trying to say or do? Maybe for you, you find yourself in a season of life where the songs you're gravitating towards most often are sad songs. They're songs of lament, songs of grief, songs of loss. And it's because, no shocker, you're grieving. You lost somebody. You lost something. Something was ripped from your life. And this is God's way of trying to say, hey, I, I, I want to heal that. I want to heal that. Maybe for you it's angry music. We're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks. We talk about punk rock. It's going to be so much fun. Anyway, um, maybe for you, you gravitate towards this because uh, you've been mistreated lately. You're mistreated by an employer. You're mistreated by a spouse. You're mistreated by a, a friend. 
and you've been harboring so many feelings about it. It just feels good when you listen to that music to release it somewhere. Maybe for you, uh, the songs that are really connected with you are like energizing songs, motivational songs. Uh, Queen Beyonce's new album, The Renaissance. Hallelujah. <laughs> and maybe that's because you find yourself, you've been living this existence for so long that's stale and it feels like it's not going anywhere and you're so dissatisfied with your relationship life and your faith life and maybe it's your physical health, you're just so dissatisfied. And these songs, they speak to you because you're like, I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. I want to be about something more than just existing in this life. Or maybe for you, back to our genre for today. Maybe the songs that are speaking to you the most are these songs about love. But maybe for you, the reason why these are connecting and resonating with you so much is because if you were willing to be honest for a quick minute, recently, your ability to love has grown cold. Why these songs are speaking to you so much is because they remind you of a, an earlier you. Maybe a you from a couple of years ago before we went through all this mess we've been through. A you that genuinely cared about other people, wanted to help other people. You weren't as cynical, you weren't as skeptical as you are now. Maybe the reason why these songs are connecting with you because they remind you of what it's like to be someone who actually loves and cares about something, instead of just always seeing the negative, always playing the pessimist. If that's you, um, I got good news and I got bad news, okay? I got good news and I got bad news for a collective humanity uh, right now. The good news, we'll start with the good news. You want the good news? We'll start with the good news. The good news is this. The good news is this. Let's go back to our scripture passage for today. The good news is that going back to our scripture, the author says this about love, says this about the power that love can have on your life. Did you see this? Love is as, I've, this is the person just sort of speaking on their own experience. It's like, love is the strongest thing. It's as strong as death. It's as unrelenting as the grave. Go down to verse seven. Rushing waters can't quench it. Rivers can't wash it away. If someone gave all his estate in exchange for love, he'd be laughed to utter shame. This reminds me of the gospel stories. This reminds me of the stories that Jesus would tell. And he'd say, sometimes, he said, finding the kingdom of God, experiencing the presence of God, experiencing a relationship with God in life is like the person who finds it and sells all their stuff to just buy that little plot of field in the middle of nowhere. Like they're willing to give up everything in pursuit of what they have just encountered. In other words, the good news that the author of Song of Solomon is relaying to us is that love is one of the two strongest, most powerful experiences that will ever course through your veins. I'll come to the other one in a moment. Love is just about the strongest thing. It's one of the two strongest, most powerful things you will ever encounter in this life. But here's the key. Here's the key. You got to let it. It doesn't just happen. You got to let it come in and have its way with you, in you, 
through you. Again, the esteemed theologian, Taylor Swift, uh, picks up on this in one of her songs. Uh, she writes a song, so she wrote a song that came out, I think, a couple years ago, also called Delicate. And in this song, what I love so much about it is it connects with the human experience. It connects with what every single human being knows to be true, that there's a point in every relationship. There's a point in every relationship where you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide. And that delicate, vulnerable part of the relationship, are you going to be all in or are you going to play it safe? Are you going to allow this person into your heart or are you going to back out and just sort of play the, the safe game? What I think this song beautifully articulates is that, friends, in this life, most of the time you're going to have to choose between being a person of love and being a person of safety. Being a person of love or being a person of safety. Now, part of me, like, as an aside, part of me always gets frustrated and struggles with sermons on love because they're always just so big and so vague and just like it's like, doesn't mean anything. And so in order to make sure this means something, who are the people in your life for whom this applies? Who are the one to two people in your life for whom this applies? That more often than not, you play it safe. You don't let them in. You don't, you don't enter in. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's the, your neighbor writ large. Maybe for you, these last couple of years, you've just sort of become someone who's focused all on you, focused all on your immediate family, and you've just stopped allowing the well-being of your neighbor to even enter into your list of cares and concerns that day. Listen, that's fine. Just don't follow Jesus. Don't follow the one who's going to every day say, yes, love me. Me and you, me and you, me and you, and you and them. It's got to be all of it. In this life, you're going to have to choose. At the end of the day, did I make more decisions that made me into a person of love or a person of safety? And I'll close here. Because, friends, the other most powerful force, the other most powerful experience that human beings encounter in this life, the first one is love. Anyone want to take a guess what the second one is? Fear. And I don't care who you are. More often than not, one has the upper hand on your life. I don't care who you are. One of them, most of the time, is having control over your life. Kyle, how do I know? Like, how do I figure that out? Ask yourself this really practical question. Lately, is the first question that runs through my mind whenever there's an opportunity to step out, to help, to serve, to do something good in the world, to care for or love someone, is the first question that runs through my mind, what will happen to me? Or is it what will happen to them? If the first question that has the most power over your life is what's going to happen to me, that's a fear-based question. 
Love asks a fundamentally different question. It asks, oh my gosh, but like what might happen to them? What might happen to this person that I love and care about? What about what might happen to this people group? What, happen, what might happen to this neighbor? What might happen to them if I don't do anything, if no one does anything? And I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a minute. Lately, especially these last couple of years, I never thought, I've never, I never, I feel like I've never really been this type of person, but these last couple of years, you want to know which question runs through my mind and has more power over me lately? It's the first one. It's the first one. Listen. I don't know necessarily, and some of you are brought up with very different experiences when it comes to you know, spiritual warfare and that whole conversation and what, what's going on and the things that we can't see. But Scripture's clear about this, that there is our battle more often than not is not with flesh and blood, it's with the powers and principalities of this world. And so my, I don't have it all perfectly fleshed out yet, but I do know that there are a lot of times in life where it feels like there is something, someone, something at war trying to make me into something I don't want to be. And I can't always explain it. Now, we always have to be careful with these conversations because there's also some Christians out there who blame everything on the devil. And they're like, I got a parking ticket, Satan. Um, no, it's because you parked all jackwack, like all sideways, and like, yeah, you broke the law. That's why. But lately, I don't know. It just feels like, not just with me, but it feels like with our collective humanity, it feels like there, doesn't it just feel sometimes like there's a war out for our soul? And I just refuse. I refuse. I refuse to allow the world to turn me into a cold, calloused, heartless person. And it will, if you let it. It will, straight will unless you actively resist it. Kyle, how do I do that? I don't know the whole steps. I don't know all the 17 steps of that, but I do know step one. I do know step one. You want to be someone who actively resists becoming a person of fear rather than becoming a person of love. You know what step one is? You got to actually allow yourself to be loved. This is oftentimes the hardest part, isn't it? Isn't it? But as the saying go, you can't give what you don't got, what you don't have. Bad English, got. Thank you, Paula. Okay. Have, period. Um, (laughs) Can't give what you don't have. And some of you who are listening to this, some of you who are watching this online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've become a professional at resisting other people's love. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's anybody. Maybe what you've been through in life just taught you. Nope, 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 not letting it in, not letting it in, because last time I let it in, they betrayed me. Last time I let it in, it was fake. Last time they let it in, they saw parts of me that I didn't let anyone else see, and they ran. So I ain't doing that no more. I'm not going to nullify none of that because that's big, that's painful, that's real. But what I'm going to say to you is that today, today, 
if you want to take one teensy tiny step in not becoming a cold and cowless and heartless person, you got to start with allowing yourself to be loved again. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.